Welcome. Happy Sunday, everyone. Um, last week, we've started, we've embarked, as they say, <laughs> on a new book um, called Love and Law, Ernest Holmes. I mentioned last week it was one of the last of his published books, and yet one of the first in terms of his actual teachings. These were um, taken down like dictation from lectures that he did in 1915. And what I love about the book is, first of all, it's, it is some of his early freshest, you, I mean, you can feel the excitement off of the pages of him telling it, and also the kind of conversational style. Some of it's kind of funny. In fact, a couple of the quotes today I think you'll enjoy. Last week, we talked about the idea of spiritual law, that there are indeed laws uh, that apply to all of us from a spiritual perspective. But before we get started with that, there are a few other laws that I thought you might want to be aware of. <laughs> now, you're probably all aware that most states have uh, enacted those consenting adults laws, you know, anything that goes on between people 18 or years older and in their own homes is like a safe bet. But I bet you're not aware of some of these laws. In Oblong, Illinois, it is punishable by law to make love while hunting or fishing. <laughs> and in the small town of Alexandria, Minnesota, no man is allowed to make love to his wife with the smell of garlic, onions, or sardines on his breath. <laughs> I mean, we need to be careful about these. Now, on the other hand, it is safe to make love while parked in a car in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Police officers are not al or aren't allowed to walk up and knock on the window. A suspicious officer must drive up from behind, honk his horn three times, and, and wait two minutes before getting out of the car. <laughs> Hopefully that would give you all enough time, I guess. <laughs> In Helena, Montana, it might, there's a mandate that a woman can't dance on a table in a saloon or bar unless she has on at least three pounds of clothing. <laughs> and finally, in Cle now Cleveland, Ohio, that's like a big place. But in Cleveland, Ohio, there's still a law on the books that says women are not allowed to wear patent leather shoes because a man might see a reflection of something that he shouldn't. <laughs> Just when you think it's safe to wear patent leather shoes again. Oh well. Alright. So if those laws aren't enough, <laughs> last week we learned about the law of cause and effect. And I wanted to start out simply with a quote from Ernest Holmes about that, because he does a wonderful summary of everything that we talked about last week in about one sentence. So here it comes. He says, when we think, our thought, we will say, goes forth. It's immediately surrounded by this universal mind that immediately begins to act upon it, just like the creative power in the soil acts upon the seed. And, and here I love this conversational bit. He says, when I first realized this, it took me a long time to really figure it out. Then it took me several years to get to be where I could use it. I had to go by something that I believed but was unseen. And isn't that the truth? Whether it's these funny laws <laughs> or whether it's the law of cause and effect, it's difficult for us to abide by a law, to use a law, to put a law into practice for our own good if we can't see it, if we're not aware of it. 
And I think one of the reasons why we're hesitant to really fully believe in, to become invested in, and use the law of cause and effect is because it's unseen. And because it's unseen, I think sometimes we actually even turn it on its ear and get confused about what's the cause and what's the effect. And I want to illustrate, I hope you guys don't mind hearing about my past, but I wanted to illustrate with a story from when Larry was seven years old. So when I was seven, I had a best friend named John Nye, and Johnny and I were, were somewhat, you know, inseparable. We were born like three months apart, and our, and our moms knew each other, and it seemed like we were always either at my mom's house or at Johnny's house. And one time we were at my mom's house, she ended up with the honor of babysitting for the day, and she had to run some errands, so of course, off the kids go with her. And one of them was to visit Mrs. Colson down the street. I have no idea what, what they were talking about, but it became very apparent that two seven-year-old boys were not going to sit quietly on the sofa while this conversation was going on, right? So smart Mrs. Colson said, why don't you guys go upstairs and play? And she showed us upstairs, and it was a great big kind of attic of a room with a carpet in the middle, and it was like, you know, those low kind of eaves, but it was perfect for seven-year-old kids, you know, room for, you know, wrestling or being crazy or whatever. But of course, the moment that Mrs. Coulson left the room, as though a magnet, our eyes spied what? Her Hummel figurine collection in the corner. And as though mesmerized, as though inextricably bound to these very fragile objects, we began and embarked upon playing with the largest of them, which was a figure of Napoleon on a horse and kind of like leading the charge. And, um, well, I hate to admit this, but within a very short time, um, he was no longer leading the charge because <laughs> his arm was broken off. And, and I guess in our own minds we figured, well, you know, it's just an arm she probably won't notice. <laughs> but then he lost his head too. And, <laughs> And even, you know, even seven-year-olds would find it hard to believe that Napoleon could lead the charge without a head. <laughs> so if you were seven years old and have just broken, you know, and, and like feeling shameful and like, what would you do? Yes, exactly <laughs> right. I'm glad to see, that, I'm glad to see that Shirley and I go right to the same spot and we immediately tried to figure out, well, where are we going to hide this, Right. And you know what I have to tell you is whether you're 70 or 17 or whether you're in your 50s, there's a part of us that wants to hide things, wants to make things better just by manipulating the outsides of things, right? In, in our seven-year-old hearts, we thought that if it was out of sight, it wouldn't exist anymore and life could go on. And you know, I hate to admit, but when I first went off to college, I think of some of my failures in dating, I was using the same theory. Well, if that one, does, if that one wasn't right, maybe, if, maybe if, they, if they disappear and I try another one, it will work out. But you know what? I'm here to tell you that if all we're doing is manipulating what's on the outside, right? Whether it's switching jobs, whether it's hiding a figurine, whether it's, you know, always searching for the perfect partner or, or uh, you know, going from city to city because something about that city just doesn't feel right. What we're doing, of course, is trying to change the outsides 
with the hope of making a difference on the inside. And when you're doing that, you have turned cause and effect completely on its ear. Now, it, se- it may seem natural. There may be a part in us that wants to go that way. There's a part of us that thinks, because I have this rotten boss, I feel angry, and because I feel angry, I have thoughts of this job isn't good enough, I'm not valuable, um, why should I do my job around here anyway, you know, and when we have those thoughts, then it hits home to us, you know, they haven't cleaned the cafeteria in four years, don't I at least deserve a place where the cafeteria is clean, and, and those thoughts bring up more anger, and, and, and we think this is a result of our boss being crummy, but I gotta tell you, this is Larry once again <laughs> playing hide the figurine, because it isn't the outsides that have control of our insides. It's quite the reverse. It's because we're having thoughts of being worthless. It's because we're having thoughts of not being able to make a difference on this job. It's because of those that we begin to feel that we're not valued. And it's because of those feelings and those thoughts that eventually the boss turns into what we think of as a rotten person and probably fires us one day. It isn't the boss. It isn't the city. It isn't the relationship. It isn't, you know, it isn't the stuff. Thoughts create things and not the other way around. Even in my um, little homespun um, story from my youth, you know, what was the real issue here? It wasn't hiding the figurine. Although I suppose in modern day, Johnny would have quickly inquired on the internet and used his mom's credit card to order a new figurine and, and hopefully slip it in before Mrs. Colson noticed. But once again, it's a manipulation of the outer world. And what was really called for here was an examination of integrity and honesty, right? And of course, eventually that's what mom turned it into, which is absolutely perfect. But when we want to see changes on the outside, we need to start with changes on the inside, right? If it's the job that we don't like, the first place we go shouldn't be quitting and finding a different job. Now that may be something that in due time is appropriate. I'm not saying that every job is perfect and that we should be stuck in a rotten job. But what I do know is that if you go from job to job to job and you're feeling unsatisfied, what's the common denominator in this story, right? If you're going from relationship to relationship to relationship and none of them pan out very well, what is the common denominator in this story? The changes start here. The changes start in our own mind. We have the ability to completely turn our world upside down, and hopefully for the good, by having the thoughts of empowerment, by having the thoughts of love, by having the thoughts of usefulness and productivity if it's on the job, by having the feelings of love and companionship and harmony if it's in a relationship, by having the thoughts of prosperity and joy and, uh, and richness if it's about finances, right? This is how we remake our world into treasured and permanent ways. 
Now, the lure, I think, here is the quick fix. The lure was that Mrs. Coulson actually didn't find out for three days <laughs> that her figurine was missing, and then after the hunt, right? Because, of course, Mr. Coulson is thinking, well, like there were two, two seven-year-old boys up there, right? Here, the evidence has got to be somewhere. And so, you know, the quick fix is in there. Yeah, you can change jobs. You can say goodbye to that boyfriend or that girlfriend. You can make a change. You can, you can put all of your debt from one credit card on another one. And this will, this will stop the phone calls for a few weeks, right? But what we know is that for the long-term solution, the change has to come from within. Now, the great news about this book is that Ernest Holmes gives us some very actionable ways of making these changes. Now, last week, we learned about the idea of mental equivalence and, and doing either a picture this exercise or, or maybe doing something like a treasure map, something visual of what you want to experience in your life that's different and powerful and empowering. And this week, he has a three-point idea of how to make permanent changes in our lives. And these are the first three points, and they're actually really simple. The first one is to acknowledge that there's one power and that it's really powerful, right? If we're going to use the power of God, and whether you want to think of it as a prayer, whether you want to think of it as aligning yourself with God, if you just want to think about it as God is being on your side, then doesn't it make sense? We want to make sure that this is a powerful God, that this God can actually do anything, can create can create anything, can both do and undo anything. So first of all, acknowledge that there's one power and that it really is powerful. The second thing is to create a unity in your own mind, in your own sense of being, he says, a oneness between yourself and that situation or condition or thing that you want. So if you want more love in your life, he says, unify yourself with the principle of love. If it's a, a more abundance, a better job that you want in your life, then he would say, identify yourself and unify yourself with the thoughts of what that new job would be like, with the thoughts of being fully employed, with the thoughts of what it would be like to be in that new job and, and all of the qualities that you would want in it. And so as best we can, we simply unify ourselves, our mind, with that which we wish to experience, and then the third step is nothing more than claiming your good as though you already have it. And he has a great quote about that that I'm going to read to you today. Now, this was originally um, taken by dictation in 1915, but this sounds so modern. Listen to this. He says, Calmly and persistently, even though at first mechanically, speak the word, and there is a certain amount of power that will follow. Gradually, you will be able to feel the form of the word is the letter of this law. It will make the thing become real. But at first, if you cannot do it any other way, do it mechanically. Say your truth over and over again and put as much of the Spirit into your word as you can. He's talking about affirmations. Now, I, I tried to research where 
quote, affirmations, that concept came about. And I, I couldn't find really anything on the internet um, earlier than, than 1950. But here in 1915, he's really just saying, use affirmations. And if you have to, fake it until you make it. If you have to, even if from the very first time you do it, it doesn't quite sound like you can embody it yet, he would say, so what? Accept the truth in your own life as best you can. And he says to speak it aloud, to actually use the power of your own voice to set into motion, to set into that law of cause and effect what you want to experience. So those, that three-prong method here, he says, acknowledge that there's only one God, one power, and that it is powerful. Unify yourself with this power, with which you want to experience in the world, and then simply claim your good as though you already have it. That's as easy as that, right? And furthermore, later in the chapter, he says you're already doing it. The trouble is you don't know you're already doing it. You tend to be using this power to once again push around the effects instead of actually changing our initial thoughts. And in fact, this is something I think fairly common. Uh, you know, of course, I get to see all the prayer requests that come in, and, and I absolutely recommend using the prayer request uh, cards in the back of the room. But so often, I notice people do request prayer around pushing around the effects in their life. You know, uh, prayers um, similar to, um, you know, uh, please help me out of this bad relationship. Um, Please um, find me a better job than the one I have in. And my impression around quite a few of them is, is that they're in reaction to something, some condition that's going on in the world. What would be so more effective is when we become ever more aware of our own minds, of what has caused these issues to begin with, and then instead the prayer request is about that. So instead of praying for maybe a new relationship, we would be praying for love. We would be praying for that certainty of knowing that love can always be in our lives and that the right and perfect people to reflect that love are always drawn to us, right? We can know that our own lives are full of utility and that we're always provided for. And the knowledge of that will bring the perfect job we don't have to get out of a job simply through changing our own mind about the job. The job, the, right, the one we have, might transform itself in order to meet that criteria of your changed thought. So no more will we be hiding the fragments of a mess under the carpet, right? We will be orchestrating what we really want to experience in our own lives from the get-go. We'll be claiming for ourselves that ultimate cause, which are the thoughts in our own brain. This is how cause and effect works. And this is actually a simple and beautiful way for transforming our lives. Someone pointed out after um, I did this talk uh, uh, during the first service, they said, well, you ought to also ought to mention that this process is, uh, is kind of a spiral. And, and I thought, you know, this is very astute, and I am going to mention it. Because what tends to happen, whether our thoughts are lofty or whether our thoughts are of despair, they magnify themselves and use this law of cause and effect in a spiral. So let's use the example maybe of a relationship 
that has gone a little bit crazy. They will bring up more thoughts maybe of unworthiness in us. They will bring up more thoughts of all relationships tend to go bad. They'll bring up thoughts of, of uh, you know, relationships uh, are just hard work from the get-go. And then what's going to outpicture in our next relationship? It's going to be hard from the get-go. It's going to be full of struggle. And it never turns out right anyway. Thus reinforcing what relationships are like. So then where do your thoughts go from there? See, I knew it was true. 100% of relationships turn out badly. And it's one of those spirals of actually using the law of cause and effect to dig the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. But picture the other way. Picture the other way. If something that's going on in our life isn't quite what we want, use our mind to create that idea of perfection and whatever it is. Let's, let's say maybe it's finances. So when the overdue notice comes in the, in the mail, instead of using that to go down, let's go up with it. Let's say, God bless the electric company for providing me with the credit to run my household this week. I am so grateful for the, the abundance that I have in my life. Right? As we begin the spiral upward, then that magnifies itself. And pretty soon... There are no more overdue notices. Pretty soon, we get the raise at work that we wanted. Pretty soon, our life is able to turn around, whether it be financially, whether it be in matters of love, whether it be um, you know, our working conditions, whatever it is, you can use that same spiraling technique of the law of cause and effect to bring you what you want instead of what you don't want. So I'd like to close today um, with a, a bit of homework, another reading from Ernest Holmes and a prayer. So, so the bit of homework would be, examine your own lives in terms of cause and effect. Are there places in your own life that perhaps you were trying to change the effect instead of the cause? I think that awareness itself is hugely curative. I think even just the awareness that there may be places in your life where you are struggling to change the outside instead of the inside may bring about a change in itself that's more permanent. Now, we can always make temporary changes, perhaps, by changing things on the outside, by getting the new job, by getting the new relationship, by moving to a different city, by changing churches, whatever it might be. We can make temporary changes. But your homework this week is to see if maybe a more permanent change in your own thought, in your own outlooks, in your own attitudes might be accomplished in some area of your life. Give it a try. And we have the tool of affirmation to use, those three, that three-pronged approach of acknowledging the power of God, unifying yourself with it, and then using that affirmation to anchor in what you really want to experience. All right. Now for my... Closing quote from Ernest Holmes. People who expect to demonstrate this principle must be constant, determined, positive, sure, and faithful with themselves. You will rise and you will fall. You may get discouraged. You will become encouraged, but you always will be progressing on this path. Always. You must simply stick to it 
And the day will come when you will no longer say, I hope, I desire, I pray, but you will say, I know. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing called life itself. And what I know about life is that it is persistent. It is loving. It is sweet. And so for each person in this room, I know that life is in full force, that that persistence, that sweetness, that joy of life is present for each person here. And for each present person here, including myself, I know that we ever become more skillful at using this law of, effect, of cause and effect to actually manage what we want to see happen in our own lives by changing around our own thoughts by accepting more love in our thoughts, by having our thoughts directed to more joy, towards more peace, towards more abundance, whatever it is we wish to see more of in the world, I know that each of us, that each person in this room has the power to begin organizing their thoughts around those guiding principles. And I am simply grateful for it. Grateful in knowing that the tool of affirmation is available to us. Grateful in knowing that the full powerful co-creative force of God is here working for and as each person in this room. And so I just let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. <laughs>